I'm Scott Michael Shotgun with McLeod Bethel Thompson, and this is the Athlete Purpose Beyond Sport podcast. Harness our ancestor Roberto Clemente, who was the first Latin and Caribbean-born player to be inducted into the uh, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, and was just an all-around amazing person. Um, his charity and his his kind of worldwide worldwide impact was immense. Sadly, we lost him on a, on a trip to Nicaragua. Uh, a couple years after his his career, but just want to harness his energy and his power and his um, intensity on and off the field. And I'll pass on to Scott to introduce episode three. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, for for this episode, Mac and I are super honored to welcome Steve Agreda uh, to the podcast. So Steve is on the line with us from El Salvador, which is a few thousand miles south of, of here, uh, down in Central America. Steve Agreda is the, the founder of the Salvadorian Association of American Intramural Football. And, and let me just read this mission statement, this mission values and, uh, and vision that, that, uh, that his organization had. Let me just read this real quick and let this th- sink in. So mission, to create leaders of change and social impact using resources that promote options for a better way of life, ethics, and health. Vision. Be a social reform and development catalyst for youth utilizing American football and be recognized nationally and internationally as a superior education leader. Values, respect authority, abide the laws and rules, respect your neighbor and co-player. Hmm. That sounds right? pretty darn good. You could, you could kind of taste that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Palpable. It smells good. It smells many, many leather-bound books. <laughs> Uh, we met Steve, uh, we took a trip down to El Salvador with a, a few other guys that we played with um, to, to do some sports clinics with some kids down there and help out with some, uh, some school renovation projects that they had going on. Uh, and, and we met Steve on that trip and were just immediately blown away by his not only passion for the game of American football, which we didn't quite expect going into El Salvador, but we were blown away by his passion for the game, but a million times above and beyond that, his deep, deep love for El Salvador, the people down there, which is why in so many ways he's embarked on this journey to start this football organization. So, Steve, right off the bat, we, we read that that mission statement from you guys. Why is that important in El Salvador? Well, first, first and foremost, thank you guys for having me on your podcast, this no-name podcast that's yet to be named. I appreciate the time, and I'm honored to share uh, this with everybody out there. Why is it important in El Salvador? Man, El Salvador, as many have come to know over the past couple of years in the news, is, is a country that's been plagued with a lot of um, you know, civil unrest, especially after their, their civil war. You know, it's, a, it's a very highly violent crime. Um, written country, um, very low tolerance for for uh, you know for for any type of uh, rule or, or or discipline, and and it's something that American football could just provide to to young people out here. And so, you know, the passion behind that is is education. You know, education is is a great prevention tool, and so that's that's kind of a means of of doing it for us. I love that. I, w- I want to delve back. I want to go even a little bit back to that because I think that that football does do that. And I kind of proselytize football in that way in terms of its ability to kind of transform lives and transform a community. But I want to step on, on Scott toes in any way here, but I want to go back to like 
your first experience with football? When was the first time that you encountered the game and, and kind of you saw it? And what was your what was your thought about it? What was your experience and how did it happen? Well, well, my first, you know, my, my first encounter with sports period was actually baseball. And I'm glad you, you mentioned uh, uh, Roger Clemente because or Roberto Clemente, because uh, my brother and I were just avid baseball fans. And it, but when I came to know that was about five years old and about six years old, I came to, to, to know football and specifically flag football, you know, in the recreational departments of L.A. County. And uh, I just fell in love with the game. I mean, it's just it's a game that, you know, you can take individual talent, um, but you need team effort in order to maximize, you know, uh, wins. And so in, in, in baseball, it's, you know, it's it's it, it's it's a team effort but a lot of focus is on an individual player as well so football for me was just really more uh i saw it more as a true team sport and uh and everything needs to everything needs to run cohesively in order for it to function i mean it's it's kind of like a car you can have the best engine the best wheels the best rims the best caliper brakes but if you ain't got the right gas yeah. That car is, is, is worthless. Right. Or if you got the if you got the right gas and you know high octane, but your spark plugs aren't aren't the best, you know you ain't gonna get the same caliber of output. So and that's kind of for me as as a young kid, I needed a lot of discipline in my life. You know my parents had been recently divorced and and uh, and so I was missing a father figure at home. And, and my coaches were for me my father figures at that moment in time. And so football just really became a passion for me at that moment. I want to draw a beautiful circle here before we get back to Scott and his question, because what you just mentioned, your first introduction to football being flag football. And I think one of the coolest things that you're doing right now in El Salvador, as, as we became aware of when we were down there, was the flag football for, for young women down in El Salvador and how transformative that can be and, and kind of a new generation and new breadth that football is not seen to be um, accessible for women in a lot of ways. Um, but what you're doing in a, in a new environment is providing a, a, an expansive girls flag leave down El Salvador. I think that's a really cool full circle that um, that kind of ties uh, the kind of the breadth that we see. Like Steve, uh, me and Scott know, is, is a very forward thinking, a very kind of global thinking person. And his ability to see that at this time and that need for for uh, people in El Salvador, I think is just transformative for the game of sports for the, and the game of football in particular. Well, you know, flag football uh, obviously is a great tool. You know, when, when I started here in El Salvador, I mean, we started from zero. No coaches, no refs, no players. You know, it was, it was really just starting from zero. And so, um, you know, we used flag football as a mechanism to start teaching the basics of tackle football for the men's league. But, you know, it being an instrument of education and trying to make a, a, a social impact, well, many women lead the homes here in El Salvador. Right. So there's mothers, there's sisters, there's there's grandmothers, a lot of kids that are that are left at home when their parents migrate over to, to the northern uh, parts of the world uh, have to raise these children. You know, and so uh, being able to to bring football to women is essential to to trying to educate a family as to how to be disciplined, how to, you know, uh, go through adversity, how to fight through poverty, how to go through different aspects of it. And so. Uh, not incorporating women into our program would have just been, you know, a component, one of those components in this great vehicle that would have just left us running, you know, on a half a tank. I, love I think that's, I think that's so interesting. Cause you know, I would say, and, and no, not to the, the culture of uh, football in America at all, but I, I think there is an element to 
to the culture that a lot of us experience every once in a while um, as it is now that that football in the football locker room is kind of a man's place. And, and for better or worse, it, it just, it, it has that amount of culture, but you've sort of taken that paradigm and flipped it on his head as a way of saying like, look, women play as essential of a role as any man does in our culture, in our society. And we need to help support that and foster that and reintegrate that back into the social structures of our community and football is the path the vehicle for us to do that i have to ask you like el salvador without a doubt the national sport is we call soccer right it's football but it's soccer why american football why use it as a vehicle yeah. Why, why not any other sport? Why not baseball? Why not soccer? Why American football? Well, you know, and that's a, that's a great question. I got, I would, I would get asked that question in a different form when I first started. And it was why use football, American football, such a violent sport and introduce it into a, such a violent country. And, you know, my answer to that is that, you know, you have to look, you, you have to go past what you see on TV. You know, and what you see on TV is is the impact of the sport. What you see is the raw, you know, a scope of it, right? But what you don't see is all the time the athletes take behind the scenes to train, you know, to 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 battle, you know, um, you know, fame. For example, how do you how do you you know how do you deal with fame off the field when you have so many things coming at you and, and still trying to get better to keep competing? Um, and football for me is is just. It was, it was one of those sports that kept me grounded growing up. I mean, I grew up in L.A. in the 80s when, you know, there was a lot of gang activity going on. And I saw a lot of my family uh, or a lot of my friends and, and, and neighbors, uh, you know, either in gangs or, or in jail or, or abusing uh, drugs, right? And so for me, football just became one of those sports that really provided me an anchor uh, to just put my head down and, and, and move towards a certain goal. And so one of my biggest um, – one of my biggest influencers was my football coaches, you know, moving along into my youth. Uh, and as, as well as one of my baseball coaches when I was younger, I mean, he would take us everywhere. And so I just, the only thing I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to do anything new. I'm just trying to duplicate what I was taught in my youth, you know, by great people uh, in moments of, of me playing sports. And the majority of my sports were, was football. So that's, that's, that's really the reason. You know, it's, there's no, I didn't come to El Salvador with the purpose of, of you know, I'm going to take football to El Salvador and I want to make it this great organization. And that's what I'm going to do. You know, I, I actually came to El Salvador and, and we didn't mention this, but my, I was actually born in the States. You know, I lived almost all my life in the, in the States. My parents are Salvadorian, um, just like Max, you know, a uh, 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 grandmother is a quarter Salvadorian, you know. And, uh, and so I just, I came here because first, I had a cousin who passed away at the age of 24 uh, through cancer and it really opened my eyes. Uh, and I promised I would do something for him, you know, to keep his name, you know, moving forward and, and not, uh, not lose sight of that. Uh, so actually football, to be honest with you, is something God dropped on my lap and said, Hey, run with it, you know, and that's what I'm doing. So that's, that's, that's the clearest reason I can give you Scott. I mean, I I'd be lying to you if I told you. I, I came here. I love football, and that's why I'm doing football. I love it. I, I love that. I love that. Just sticking to it. But I remember, Steve, I mean, it was about seven years ago, I think, when we were down there. And there's something – I remember we were sitting at a, at a cafe 
right on the coast, overlooking overlooking the ocean. It was just this beautiful spot down there. Uh, I was about to say, it was a beautiful spot, too. It was right? amazing. Yeah, Most was people do not believe that, that El Salvador. Well, it, so and that's, a, that's the thing, right? Like, everything you hear about El Salvador, everything's bad. Everything's violence. It's about gangs, violence, drugs, prostitution. It, like, that's what you hear in the news. That's what you hear in the media. I hear about that. I hear, I hear about that in certain parts of L.A., too, though. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. People forget the beauty of El Salvador. It's a you don't get the beauty of El Salvador without going to El Salvador and, and the people and seeing seeing the ocean, hanging out with the people, eating the pupusas. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful country. Very small country, but just a beautiful, wonderful place, right? I remember like that that conversation. We're having lunch, looking over the ocean. It was on it was on the cliffs. We're about two hundred feet above where the waves actually hit the beach, and it just yep. burned right down the sea, beautiful, like something like you see in Greece or anywhere, but it's El Salvador, right? Wonderful. And I remember you said that the special thing about American football is that it takes all body types. It takes big guys, little guys, fat guys, skinny guys. It takes all of them and they all have to work together. And I had never thought about football as being that inclusive of a sport before you really brought it up and that's something that I have you know referred back to when I've talked with teams when I've talked with coaches with different universities and whatnot is football does I think in the context of youth development a lot of times it comes over under a lot of scrutiny and and rightfully so there's been lots of issues with concussions and injuries and those sorts of things I think definitely need to be looked at in the game but the in- inclusivity of American football versus any other sport that we have for young people is, I mean, it, it's unmatched and it's really, really cool in that way. And, and that is something that has really stuck to me. In, in college, we had this cheesy thing. We carried out, we carried a chain out onto the field, right? And the whole idea being that, you know, a chain is only as good as, as its weakest link. And we, we carried the chain out of the field. We laid it down on the sidelines, and then we carried it back in the locker room when we were done. But the idea being that it takes all types, and all types are a part of this chain, a part of this unit, I think it's, it's incredibly analogous to, to the importance of, of what it means to work as a community and as a society. And the fact that you really made not just like this kind of you know, half-assed, like, afterthought of a notion to bring women into the game. But, no, like, it's it's paramount to what you guys are doing as an organization. I think that that is an incredible display of community, of what a community really is and what inclusivity really, really is. So, I mean, I, that was my really long-winded way of saying, like, I just – I have so much respect for what you're doing, and I really wish we were doing a Appreciate lot more you. of that of that in the States. I want to pivot from, so we, we understand football. We understand why football love the game. It's inclusive, you know, the discipline, the structure, those sorts of things. You get so many kids on one team. Why, what is it about sport for you versus like any other thing that you could be teaching in a camp or a clinical setting or, or any sort of sort of workshops? Why specifically sport? You, you can't duplicate emotion. You know, you, you can't duplicate it anyway. And Mac and Scott, you guys have both played at high levels of competition. And, and, and there's no way you can tell me that, you know, that you've been able to duplicate 
for example, Mac, the first time you ever threw a, a, a touchdown pass, you know, that emotion is, is a one-time thing. It's something that you, you can't duplicate. Uh, you can come close to it. You can maybe surpass that emotion at another given point in time, but you won't be able to duplicate that exact emotion. And so sport in itself gives you a certain emotion that you can learn off of. And so I'll give you an example. You know, here in El Salvador, it's such a violent, not such a, I don't want to say it's such a violent country, but it has the stigma of being such a violent country. And so you could have a lot of road rage going on, for example, right? And so it's, that's a type of emotion that you have to deal with, you know, on any given day. And so you can, uh, you know, you can flip that person off. You can scream at that person. You can hit the, the horn, honk at it. And that emotion that's driven through that moment in time that you have that altercation, uh, you know, you have choices that you have to make, right? And so, uh, and it's the same thing on the football field. You can have someone on the football field that as he's getting up, pins you down to the ground or maybe hits you, it, it, you know, in the growing area, you know, before he gets up, uh, you know, plays dirty in a certain sense. And, and you have to, you know, and you see this sometimes in games, right? You see flags getting thrown and it's never the first guy that throws the punch. It's always the second or third guy that, that gets involved, that gets the flags. And so for us here, for me in, in, in El Salvador and for our organization, it's, it's very important that individuals learn how to lead with their emotions, whether it's negative emotion or positive emotion. Um, and so sport just gives you true emotion at that moment in time. And then you have to think as a, as a member of a team at that moment that somebody hits you dirty. If I throw this punch, I'm going to get caught and I'm going to, I'm going to end up risking, you know, my team being without me right at that moment in time so you know it is for me it was just sport just allows us to educate individuals on how to work through their emotions whether positive or negative uh you know and it's it's a vehicle for us to do that you know it's very hard it's kind of like saying that you can't steer the ship when it's docked at on, on port you know you got to get it up and moving and then you can start leading it in the right direction and that's kind of how sport is you know when you have kids you have certain kids that maybe don't know that they like football, or especially here in El Salvador, uh, have never played football. All they know is soccer, so they only want to play soccer. And then you ask them if they want to play American football, they say, oh, I don't like American football. And it's kind of like, well, do you want to play ba basketball? I don't like basketball. I don't like soccer. I won't be good for this. Or I'm not tall. Or I'm too fat. Or I'm this or that. And so sport just allows you to engage with those individuals and kind of break down their their objections as well as to why they might not be good at something you know when i started here in football you know salvadorian people aren't known as you know six foot five 300 pounders you know it's not really what you would think you'd find here it's indigenous people you know that are probably you know max height is, is average of 510 you know and so and you got people that are, might be five four uh they come on the field and they're like you know I, i'd love to play but i'm only five six you know, and I just don't know if I'll be good at it. And then, so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, you need to, if you believe you're good at it or that you can be good at it, then you will be good at it. But if you don't believe you'll be you're good at it because this is a limiting factor for you, then you're never going to be good at it because you're going to, you're never going to make the attempt to try at it. And so sport just gives us all different types of opportunities to work with individuals where maybe the workplace doesn't give us that opportunity. Maybe, you know, constructing houses doesn't give us that opportunity. You know, I'm not saying those are bad things to invest time and energy into, but for me, sports was just an opportunity to work in different uh, ways with different individuals. You know, uh, 
we, we talk about different sizes, you know, all types of, you know, lengths and, and, and widths and, and sizes and ages. I'm 46 years old, you know, uh, last month I, I was 46 years old and I was telling my, my guys from the national selection team, I said, I have the privilege of playing American football in El Salvador at the age of 46. It might not be at the high competitive level, but I have the privilege of playing it, you know, at 46. You tell me who in the United States gets founding sport of American football in the U.S. is playing American football at the age of 46 in the States, you know, and so, so you get all these different opportunities, you know, to work with individuals, whether it's male, whether it's female, whether it's kids, whether it's, whether it's elders, whether it's family, you know, I have to go and sit down with moms and dads, just like a, just like a recruiting coach to sit down with them and explain to them why it's so important for their kid to invest time in American football and how they're going to develop across it and why that's going to be a benefit to their family in the future. So that sports just gives me a whole range, you know, of, of opportunity to work in different facets of life. And that's why for me, it's so important, so critical. I want to I want to delve in there because what you said, I mean, a lot of the stuff you said right there was absolutely beautiful. But the, the thing you started with was the nugget, the biggest thing to me about emotions. And I want to this is first we're, we're three males here, which we we don't often talk about our emotions and something I want to do in this podcast. Really? Is talk, <laughs> my, wife, my, my wife forces me to talk about my emotions. <laughs> We just don't talk about that with each other, right? That happen, that happen, what happens at home, stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> you guys aren't forced to do that? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. We're going to force you to do it here, too. I think uh, there's a lot of young, like a lot of young men, I think we're kind of learning through this process of like, hey, this is something that actually helps life is to be able to like talk right. about this sort of stuff that we're going through internally and, and it's okay because everybody else is going through it and it's good to get it out, verbalize it so that, you know, could bring back to the road rage situation. You aren't the guy to overreact and do something, right? It's a way to learn how to manage those emotions. And everything. Anyway. I don't think males always think that way. And I think I want to return to the game of football and how, why it was important for me. And I kind of want to go around the room and everyone to, to, to share in a moment that football kind of brought emotions out. And I want to delve into me. I'll start with my story. And delve into something that podcasts don't really talk about, which is the physicality of football and the positive aspects of physicality. Um, I, I was first introduced to football when I was eight years old, and I saw my big cousin play, my big cousin Omar. And he was my hero. And that's from the moment I saw him play high school football, that's all I wanted to do. I, I had to badger, badger my mom for five years straight. Can I play football? Can I play football? No, it's too physical. Wait, 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 wait. I get out my first practice with pads on my sophomore year of high school. I was pitted against Mac five. I'll never forget this name was Mac five. He was a senior. I was a sophomore. He was six two, about two thirty five. I was barely breaking 200. And this dude had played football since he was five years old. And we went head up. He had the ball and we went head up. And then I had the ball went head up. I went the first time I had to tackle this dude. He got the rock, ran downhill and he put his face mask, his top of his helmet right into my collarbone. And I, the loser had to jog the field. So the first time I go, absolutely smacked in the, in the mouth and I go straight on my back. He runs over me. Everyone goes, Ooh, and I'm jogging around the field. And I started crying as I was, I was jogging around the field. And I, I started just tearing. I'm like, bro, what am I doing? Like, God, that hurt first of all. And what am I doing here? And I think that pivotal moment for me was like, like there was something there. There was something tangible that I could, that I could face and I could feel. And that decision to line back up and run around that field, and get back in line and know that I was going to go up against Mac five one more time was a, was a big, like 
builder for me. I, I, I took that confidence, that ability that there was no one else out there. There was no one telling me to do this. But for me to run around the field and decide to get back in line and to line myself up against that, my confidence exploded after that. And I could see as I went back to other sports, too, as I went back to play soccer and baseball, people responded to me differently. There was a growth in me that I saw. And I think that's a, that's a really important aspect of football is that physicality. Was it, what does it feel like to take that? And how do you respond at that point? Um, and what are the motions of that? Because, I mean, I was freaking jogging around the field and crying. In my most manly moment, I shed tears before it. And it was the bounce back that, that made me feel, build that confidence. So I don't know if you guys have any stories like that or joyful, tearful, anything in between. But that was something that was really pivotal in my life. And it was my introduction to football. Um, and it's kind of it, – it's lasted, you know, in the last 18 years, it's kind of been energy off of that experience. Now, yes. <laughs> Steve, you want to go for it? What's your no, story? I was going to let you go, go up next. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you're going to knock us out of the park on this one. With you, with no, the- actually, I'm not. But I'll go ahead, then. You know, actually, I'm not. You know, for me, I have a I have an older brother, so he's two years older than me, and we're highly competitive. So for me, you know, uh, you know, usually you have brothers on the same team or, or, or always working together. Not me and my brother. Me and my brother are always complete opposites. I mean, we're always trying to outdo each other. You know, and he was always that person that, that motivated me to move forward. So anytime I lost to that guy or, or lost games to that guy, I was boo-hoo-hooing just as much, you know. And so, um, you know, as far as emotions go, you know, I've, I've been on my roller coaster ride of emotions over the past couple of years, especially, you know, after losing my cousin. That was a very um, moment in time that I had to deal with it. You know, it was off the field of something that I, you know, that's not supposed to be it. But it's an emotion nonetheless, you know what I mean? And so that, and that's kind of one of the things for me with as far as emotions go in sports is that you're going to, you're going to find emotions, you know, well, you see it nowadays, you have a lot of YouTube uh, channels and videos of NFL teams and stuff like that, or, you know, you know, you know, after they win the Super Bowl, after they lose the Super Bowl, they're crying, you know, you don't expect to see a 300 pound lineman crying, but you do, you know, sometimes on TV. So emotions is definitely a huge part of, of, of any sport. You know, uh, Olympic athletes, you know, they spend 399, 360-something uh, and, 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 and days, you know, uh, uh, a year repetitively for three years until they finally get to compete. And for some of them, it's just seconds of, of competition, you know. And so you have all that buildup of emotion that goes through and, and how do you deal with it? And so now, I mean um, – sports psychology is, is a big part of sport team sports now and, and introducing the psychologist, you know, to how to deal with those type of emotions. It, you know, when we grew up, it wasn't, you know, you didn't talk about that, but nowadays it's a huge part of getting over a triumph or, a, or getting over because you, you can be on top of a mountain and feel like you don't have to, you don't have to work as hard anymore because you, you've been to the summit, but then you forget that there's a summit that's even higher than that summit. So how do you get past that? You know, and so those are all types of emotions that we got to deal with, you know, as, as athletes. For me, man, I, I'll kind of tell this in two parts, but um, I didn't play football until my senior year of high school either. I, I'd been a, a basketball player primarily, played soccer, basketball, tennis, and then senior year decided I'd, I'd, go, I'd go kick for the football team. And then a uh, coach said, well, while you're here, might as well run some routes. And then next thing <laughs> starting playing receiver and it turned out I was a better football player after a couple months than I've been a basketball player from playing my whole life uh, so that's when I ended up pursuing football after high school but uh, 
I remember when I first started playing, being 17 years old, I was really afraid of the physicality of the game, right? I was a kid that I'd never been in a fight growing up, a physical fight. I always, you know, either figured out a way to, to run away or talk my way out of it or honestly, when I was younger, cry and get out of it that way or something. And there was something about the physicality of football that, that it, it really did make me less afraid because the first couple games, the first couple times that we put the pads on and played, and you just get the, the crap smacked out of you. Like, there was something about, like, oh, I can take it, and I can get back up, and I'm okay, right? And, and I think that experience of knowing that you can literally get smacked on your face and just fall flat on your face, have it hurt a little bit, but be able to get over that, it, it, like Mac was saying, that, that's hugely confidence-inspiring. The story I really want to – I really think is, is appropriate for this moment, though, go to my junior year of college. Uh, I had just come back. <clears throat> I had broken my leg uh, in, the, in an off-season snowboarding accident. It wasn't supposed to be snowboarding in the off-season in college football, but I was. And I, I hit a tree and, and broke my femur, and I ended up missing a year and nine months um, in a recovery process. And that was, a, that was a couple surgeries and made it back. And, and when I came back to playing, I was just so appreciative of the whole process, just practice everything, being in the locker room, being around the guys. Like I thought I wasn't going to play again. And so every single moment, every single day was just such a blessing. And, and really that injury probably saved my football career in a lot of ways. But, but without a doubt, I still had the injury to deal with. I had to, you know, I had to really look after my leg. It, it, Every time I landed on it my first season back, every time I landed on that hip, my right hip where I broke my femur, my leg would just swell up like crazy. It looked like I had a hip, like almost like another butt cheek hanging off the side of my hip. Like, it would swell like that. And so I wore a special pad over it for a while, and maybe that would help. And, it, it you know, sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. But it, it got to the point where it was, it was really, like, it was really sensitive, and it hurt. It just flat out hurt every time I landed on it. And I remember just one day of practice, you know, we'd been going through school and practice and everything in the college, the, the college sports life when you're in season is a grind. It's from the moment you wake up and you start eating, like it is nonstop until you go to bed. And I remember I was just, I, I think I'd been up a couple nights in a row pretty late. Uh, studying, working on those sorts of things. And I think I, I was starting to get a little stressed and a little tired. And I remember we're in a practice and, you know, as a wide receiver, like my ability really was to go up and get the ball out of the air, right? I was a six, three guy. I've been a basketball player. You know, I felt pretty confident and, and I was pretty confident in my ability to, to get the ball at the high point above the DB and, and come down with the catch. And we were in, we were in a practice period you know, and I run a deep route, run a fade, went up, catch a ball in the back of the end zone. And the DB who I was going against was, a, you know, one of my best friends, but he was a, a guy who was also a competitor and made a pretty physical play on the ball. And I was so mad and so pissed because when I came down, I landed right on my hip and it hurt really bad. And I was already tired and stressed and frustrated. And I remember just flipping out at him. And 
I was so pissed. And I remember yelling at him, basically like telling him that he should not have made that play because of how important I was to the team, right? And how pissed I was about that. And in retrospect, that's a pretty embarrassing comment to have made to a teammate. Uh, and when, and you know, college football, everything's film. We went back, we watched the film that night in our film session after practice, and there was no foul, there was no penalty. He just went and made a good play on the ball, and he beat me. Just flat out, he beat me. And I remember sending him a text uh, in that film session, actually. I went and grabbed my phone. I said, hey, man, I saw the, I saw the play. My fault. Like, my, you know, my bad. After that film session, one of the other DBs, one of the other defensive backs came and he sat down with me and he said, what's been going on with you, man? And he's like, he's like, I've seen you be one of the best players in the league, but for the last couple, like last few days, last couple of weeks, like you just don't quite have the mojo right now. Like what's going on? Like I've seen you drop balls. I saw you flip, flip out on Lucas in practice. And he just said like, what's going on? It wasn't, it wasn't judgmental. It wasn't critical, but it was holding me to a standard that he felt like I was slipping on. But he did it in a way that was very much like putting his arm around me, like, I care about you, but you're not doing what you're capable of doing right now. And I remember at that moment, like, it was just him and I on the field. This was, it was that night after practice, everybody had already taken off. It was just him and I walking around the field. And uh, I remember, like, I started crying in that moment. And he's like, dude, I know how much you love this game and I know how much you care about it, right? He's like, you are the guy that everybody on this team is looking towards. And if you react like that, what example does that set for all of the younger guys for the rest of their career? And it was, it really was that moment. And, and I, I remember we talked a little bit about that sort of creating a safe emotional space for people on the field. We talked a little bit about that last week with Samora and we were referencing more coaches, but that was a, a time for me. And that my teammate, that, that teammate was Bubba Lemon, who's actually the, uh, he's a grandson of, of Meadowlark Lemon from the, uh, the Harlem Globetrotters, but Bubba Lemon, uh, hope you're listening out there, man. But that was a really, really big moment um, for me in my, not only my college football career, my football career, but that was a really big moment for me just in life and just in just having somebody kind of take that interest at a really, really hard time, a really fragile time. It could have been, I mean, he very easily could have just walked away from it and said, ah, Scott's prima donna, whatever, screw him, you know, like he's untouched, whatever he thinks, he's untouchable, this and that. But no, he just cared, cared no ego and went about it. And uh, I would, that like, when you talk about, an emotional situation over your experience of playing. Like that's the one that really, really sticks out for me. Not bad. That's, Dang. That's yeah. Save the best for uh, last right there. That's what, okay. So this is, and we're going to go a little philosophical here so we can pull back from this as soon as we feel like we're out of there. But I think that there's a, there's an element of football or sports or, or really anything, dance, art, I think it's all in the same realm. It's a, it's a, provides a, a third party medium for you to see yourself through. There's not, there's for us as humans, there's, there's a heart we can walk through and have this train of thought going through our head. And the, we perceive everything in the world through these two eyeballs, right? And, but I think there's a whole other world inside of our head that we just are, are assuming and we're projecting on the world as much as we're recepting in the world. We make our own reality as much as we receive what's in front of us. We, uh, if you ask a person to look around the room and find everything that's red, 
and they find everything. And then you go back, well, what did you see was green? They didn't, probably didn't see anything because they weren't looking for the green things. They were looking for the red things. You, you find out in the world what you're looking for as much as you encounter in the world what they, they want you to find. And I think sports and football in itself provides that third-party median for you to see yourself in. And I think it's a really important skill for coaches to present the game as, as an unbiased spectator, right? Everyone loves football. football. Football loves no one. As an unbiased mirror to present kids a picture of themselves. This is who you've decided yourself to be in this environment. Is this you? Do you like this person? Do you not like this person? And I think that's a transformative aspect of it that um, as me and Scott have been talking, I, is it explored? Is it talked about? Are coaches capable or, or have the abilities to have those conversations to see it in that manner? Um, um, I just think it's a transformative environment that's not necessarily taken advantage to the to the maximum capacity. I'm, I'm going to try to bring this full circle and make and you know I, I think deep down all of us have a need to to feel significant within our communities within within our own lives and, and i mean that that need really starts with ourselves we have to individually know that we're significant and that our lives matter and that our choices matter and this goes back to a term that max really brought into our conversation that that concept of agency that that you you are a significant person in the world you the choices that you make good or bad have significance in the world around you and you are a player in this whole game of life, right? And when I really think about this, what we're talking about here, and what we're talking about in terms of sports, kind of being an opportunity to, to, feel, to be a mirror and to, to show you your level of significance in the realm of other people. And, and I think about it with a lot of kids and a lot of people who do grow up in areas where there is a lot of gang activity or a lot of gang violence, right? If you have a gun and you point that gun to somebody's head, you're immediately significant. But is that the best way to go about it? Does that really make life and your community and the world around you better? You're still going for the need of like, you need to matter. Without a doubt, everybody needs to matter. Everybody needs to have their place in the world, needs to have their significance. Picking up the gun is a really easy way to go about that, right? But giving someone an opportunity to be on a football team and to feel that significance from a friend just coming by and putting their arm around you saying, hey, how you doing, man? You realize that when you do that, it makes our team better. When you do this, it makes our team not as good. So now that amount of significance, that amount of like self-actualization that I'm starting to develop is in this really peaceful kind of controlled environment under the rules and the context of the game of football, rather than out on the streets where the consequences come sometimes can be someone dying, right? And, and I think that when we talk about a transformative power of sport and sport being a really important cornerstone to our society and our, and our development of kids, from a very early age on into releasing them in the world as young adults, that understanding that you are significant, that you have the ability to take agency and ownership in your own life is something that I'm not sure there's anything else out there like sport to do that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, Sports just, just allows for so many different teachable moments. You know, we talked about, you know, nowadays the sports are, are, are changing, you know, like anything else in this world. It's, it's constantly, you know, 
uh, it's continuing to transform in, in, in certain ways, but certain aspects of the game will always stay real. And that's, you know, coaches will always have to deal with different types of athletes and different athletes will always have to deal with different types of scenarios that are going on around them on and off the field. And so sports just presents that opportunity, you know, of so many coachable moments. I'll tell you, you know, I probably wouldn't, I don't want to say I've had success out here in El Salvador, but, you know, the program I've built, I can tell you that it's been built around a lot of those similar moments that I've had in my life, whether it's been my mother, you know, as, as, a, as a single uh, mother trying to struggle through life, you know, uh, raising three kids, you know, in, in, a, in a violent atmosphere. Wow. Um, you know, she's taught me a lot as, as to why women need to be put, you know, uh, on the same shelf as, as a man does, not only in sport, but in, in, in professional life or in business world, wherever, you know, that might be. El Salvador is such a machista, right? Such a man, manly uh, country, as, as you would say. But, you know, she's taught me, you know, that women need to be prioritized, for example. You know, the, my baseball coach as a, as, a, as a young individual taught me, you know, how much of an impact a coach could have off the field for a young, you know, player. You know, and my high school coaches, you know, growing up through high school and, and their, you know, ability to coach me, you know, off the field as well have a lot to do with, you know, all the things that I'm trying to teach to these individuals, male and female here in El Salvador. You know, and not just that, but, you know, even, you know, in El Salvador, like I said, there was no football really. So, um, you know, we have to teach fans how to be great fans of football and not be the same type of fan that they are for soccer, you know? And so what do you uh, mean by that? What, what, what specifically are you referencing when you say not be the same type of fan like they are for soccer? Well, it, it, it's just two different types of, of sports cultures and, 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 and fans. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not talking in general, you know, as far as a soccer, a soccer fan in general. I'm talking about soccer fan here in El Salvador, you know, which is a really rude, very rough fan. You know, you're talking about you go to the you go to the soccer stadium and you watch watch a game between two uh, first division teams, and I mean, when they have a section of the stadium that's called Vietnam, you know, um, and you have urine bags that are being thrown at different spectators or you, you can't really take your wife, you know, to that certain section because she'll be groped or she'll be, you know, um, you know, she'll be, she'll be uh, possibly touched in, in, in ways that obviously aren't something that's permissible. You know, you have, you have fans, soccer fans here that are just, you know, just, just really rough, just really rude. And so that's something that we did not want to have in our football games. You know, we wanted our football, soccer or American football atmosphere to be kid friendly, to be family friendly, you know? And so you got to go and you got to teach them, you know, how to tailgate. You got to teach them how to go out prior to the game and, and, and have barbecues and have fun prior to the game. But then once you go into the stadium, you know, have, have a little bit of, of etiquette and have a little bit of culture and respect for who, you know, the fan that might not be wearing the same colored, you know, Jersey that, that, that you're wearing or supporting the same team. And instead of coming out of there brawling, you know, and so that's also been a part of our teachable, coachable moments, you know, off the field, you know, is, is teaching that, you know, our, our fans how to be, you know, good fans, right? How, so, do you guys, 
how do you guys do that? How do you implement that? I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of high school athletic programs or, or youth athletic programs that around our country that probably struggle with a lot of the same issues with fans, maybe not having the same sort of etiquette and morality that coaches are trying to instill within their own players. How do you go about teaching fans to be better fans and positive contributors to the communion of sport? You know, uh, I mentioned on how, you know, prior to, to, to recruiting kids to be a part of our program, how I go and I talk to the parents and I talk to the, talk to, uh, you know, relatives as far as, you know, the impact that they're going to make and, and what's going on and why we're, you know, even doing football, right? Football is not here. I don't use football to, so that people can have a hobby to participate in. We use it as a vehicle to, to create change. And so part of that is uh, making sure that individuals that are not playing football understand what they're going to be a part of. And so sometimes it's, it's me getting on the PA system prior to the game starting and reminding the fans, you know, that why they're there that night and, you know, that they're there to support their team, support their family members and support our mission as an organization to create change. And so, you know, we don't want them fighting in the stands, respect one another. And this is something I got to say that I really learned. I spent three months in Japan and I had the opportunity, the Japanese American Football uh, Association out there opened their doors for me and I was able to go see a couple of their games. And I was impressed at the fact that the fans at the end of the game uh, either take their own garbage bags or are given garbage bags and they, they pick up their own, you know, trash prior to leaving the stadium. No way. So it's a culture. It's something that is educated and something that, that's just passed on and, and it just eventually just becomes a part of it. And so what I did was I took that here and I, you know, I, I let people know that, Hey, you know, the spaces that we use, you know, it, it took a long time for us to be given the confidence of giving us a municipal stadium to play football. And, you know, and it's not rented space. It's not space that, you know, we buy. It's, it's actually, you know, a space that we cherish. And it's important for us that our fans know that they got to help us upkeep it and be, you know, good fans and not be throwing beers at one another, not be cussing at one, one another because there might be kids, in, you know, in seats and we don't want to show that type of behavior to them. It's the behavior that we're trying to get away from. And so a lot of times, to be honest with you, Scott, it's just me getting on the PA, you know, prior to the game and, and, and before the game starts is letting the fans know. Uh, it sounds like in addition, you're starting that conversation at the same time while you're recruiting somebody to come play for your team. True. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, I think that, that that simple idea right there is something that could be, you know, accessible and, and, and instilled with, with youth coaches, high school coaches, even college coaches when they're recruiting players, like all across, you know, our country and, and all across the world. I mean, that is such a phenomenal example. And that's, to me, Steve, like that's, that's, that, that is really getting at, to me, what sport is about. It's about this, this experience of building communion, of, of building kinship within a community, about bringing community together. And and the critical mass is not the people playing on the field for any successful team. Any successful team has a lot more people watching the game than there are actually people playing the game. The people playing the game, without a doubt, are setting the example, setting the tone, right? There's the leadership like you're instilling. But the critical mass is your fan base. Right. And so to be able to really, really start that conversation from day one is, is so cool. I mean, it was like – there was a few years ago in the NHL game. It was up in Vancouver, 
when the when the uh, NHL team in Vancouver, hockey team, lost, and there were riots in the streets, and people were like, the fans were basically destroying their own city after that game. And that is the complete opposite of the sort of approach and mentality that, that in, you know, Vancouver is an amazing city and, and I've been up there a few times. People are wonderful. And, and that, that I'm sure was a perfect storm of a lot of different things going on for, for, for bad reasons, but it, it was really kind of a heartbreaking moment. I think in sports, when you see it become this thing that actually for a little bit was really bad for that city and really oh, bad. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it happened at a UFC fight, you know, if you remember a couple of months ago yeah. as well, but I think last year, you know, you almost had a brawl breakout, you know, and, and you did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. With, with the Conor McGregor and, uh, and yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, I don't, and again, I, I don't like taking credit for, for, for starting something. I mean, it's just, again, it's all duplicated behavior, you know, uh, you know, reading coach Wooden's, you know, uh, philosophy, you know, on how many championships he won, you know, as a basketball coach, you know, he started with the simple, basic, small things, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, his players will understand. What's that? How to tie your shoe, John Wooden. That's yeah. How you I mean, this is how you tie your he, basketball he went, shoe. Yeah. I mean, he went as far, he went so deep as to teach them how to put on their socks. Yeah. You know, and players didn't understand why they needed to learn how to, they already knew how to put on socks. And, you know, it was like, hey, if you don't put it on right, you're going to get a blister and that blister is going to prevent you from running down the court, you know? And so it, it just, it just becomes a matter of duplicating things that I've learned from different individuals or, you know, uh, you know, in the past. And it just comes down to it. I mean, we have to use each moment and each opportunity that we're given to educate and teach others. You know, I have a firm belief, especially after my cousin's passing that we all come into each other's lives uh, for a reason, you know, there's no real inadvertent reason as to why we're in each other's lives. If, if you've been put next to me, it's for a reason, whether it's just simply to say hello to you and cheer you up that day, uh, whether it's just simply, you know, to shake your hand or, or, or just to, to, to share a smile with you that day, you know, because maybe you're going through something and my smile causes you to smile when you maybe are feeling miserable or something. I don't know. But you know, it's my firm belief that we're given the opportunity to educate and teach and and um, and share time with one another. And if I have a stadium full of people, you know, five, six hundred, seven hundred people, uh, and I have the opportunity to share something with them and to teach them something, and I don't do it, then I've failed at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, to 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 share with them what God has given me the opportunity when He's given me the opportunity to do so. And so that's kind of how I see things, you know, it's, it's just, I want to, I want to make sure that we're creating an impact and we're making change just like, a, you know, the mission statement that you read in the beginning, you know, I want us to be a catalyst. And if I'm not doing that, if my players aren't doing that, if our organization's not doing that, then we're not really uh, meeting the standard of our mission statement. And some of the best organizations in the world, regardless of whether they're football, baseball, basketball, soccer, uh, they get people to buy in to their system, you know, and, and once you get people to buy into their system, whether, you know, you get fans that buy into the system, you know, uh, Dallas Cowboys is America's team because that's been their statement for years and that's what they believe. And that's, that's, you know, what, what they represent. Right. And so, um, you know, and, and, and that's just the way I feel about it. You know, I, I think that if, if, if I have the opportunity to, to help others, 
then I should do so. And if, if I don't have the opportunity to do so, then it's because I haven't created the moment for it. And what you're, what you're really talking about there, which I think is so powerful, is building culture. And I think that um, there's, you know, maybe someone could hear that and say, oh, he's building something. He's building that culture because he's able to build it from, from square one. Uh, but culture is constantly being built. It's daily, a daily, it's a daily build. And even a football culture as big as it is in America, it's being built on a daily basis. And, and that's the process. Make no mistake about it. It is not easier building culture from the beginning. It's almost harder. I think it's, yeah. it, from someone who's built something from the beginning, I'll tell you, it's even harder because you're going through more challenges. You know, the, I think the difficulty in building new culture with something that's already existing is how many people you're going to upset by creating change. All right. And that's really the difficulty of something that's already established, that you're going to have people that are not for it and are just not going to be happy about it. And so how do you deal with that? You know, how do you try to please others while trying to do something different? And then that, that just becomes a whole different, you know, monster that you have to deal with. But uh, I have another firm belief that if you ain't growing, you're dying because there's nothing constant in this world, man. I don't know. But Every second, every second of this of this life that we live, we're either growing or we're dying, you know. And so, people that just want to be constant, people that just want to be complacent, people that aren't looking to move uh, forward and not trying to go backwards, they're looking to, to live a constant life, and that's just not true, man. You know, our world doesn't operate that way. You know, when we die, the world keeps revolving, but it doesn't stop because we've died. You know, and so that's what people need to understand is that. As individuals, we need to constantly be growing to get, you know, to get where we need to go. And, and, and that's just a part of changing, you know, in culture. And that's what we've done. In a lot of ways, we just assume football culture is what it is. And I think in this country, we do a lot of blaming. We say, oh, these, these college kids are, are entitled and, and they think they should get paid and they should just be appreciative of the scholarship. Or these high school kids are showboating and, and they're just all about me, me, me. But I think that that process is being built on a daily basis. Like we have to take responsibility of that of that paradigm and go to the cause. We're we're talking about the outcome. We're not talking about the arena that's being built. We're blaming the individual for being formed by this culture that's established and thinking that that culture is already established. It's already is there. It's built. Oh, they've been playing football forever. It's it's you know it's already set in stone. It's already been started a hundred years ago. And it's just no, you build that on a daily basis, and that process can be started. A program can start by learning how to put your socks on. And, hey. and I think the way you put on your socks is the way you do anything. And that's what I've learned most about in my way of in my experience playing football is that the way you do something is the way you do everything. You can't turn that on and you can't turn that off. And I think that's what John Wooden's powerful teaching is, is that like the way you put on your socks is the way you shoot a three-pointer. It's, it's that dedication to detail. No, and I think that's the, you know, look, when I first – told my dad and my mom that I was coming out here because when I first came out here I didn't come out here with them knowing that I was coming with my dad again these are Salvadorian parents you know their, their reaction to it was what are you thinking those people have been like that and when they referred to those people they're talking about their own people but they've been like that for over 300 years you really think you're gonna go over there you're gonna make a change you know and that's and that's sometimes that's how people look at life and that's how people look at challenges you know it's like what am I going to do? You know? And, the, but the truth is that if, if you don't try, then you're really not going to do anything. 
you know, and so I've never really been one to back down from challenges, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, my, my goal is, you know, just as my cousin affected my life and now I've affected over a thousand, you know, lives, thousands of lives here in El Salvador, I'm just looking to make positive change on one person's life and for that person to go out and make a change and however many people's lives they can make a change on, you know, slowly but surely, you know, culture here because here in El Salvador, it's, you know, that's their main go-to, you know, oh, that's our culture. That's how we've been educated. That's our, you know, it's a lack of education. It's a lack of this, it's a lack of that. And so I tell people, you know, you keep living in that prison that you call your mindset. You know, you're not looking to, to, to go beyond what you've been always been told and that that's the way things are, you know? And, and so when are we going to change that? And so all I'm trying to do through American football is get, you know, use this vehicle to motivate individuals to be a part of our organization. And then once they're part of our organization and they're uh, battling with these emotions on a daily basis is to be able to create, you know, some change and some drive in them to do better, you know, and that's, and I think that, that can be a part of any, and I'm sure there's coaches in the U.S., high school coaches, that uh, their programs aren't built, you know, to, to, to send out D1 athletes. You know, their programs are there really to be programs just like mine, you know, to keep inner city kids out of problems and just try to be better. And I'm sure there's a lot of programs in the States that, that battle with that. Peewee football programs, you know, that, that aren't the best developed, you know, and, and they're there just to help uh, kids get through life at a certain stage. And so. Um, you know, we, that's, that's a, one thing that we also have to understand is that football in whole is not just the NFL. Football in whole is not just these elite programs, you know, Long Beach Poly and, you know, these Texas State programs that dump millions into their high school football stadiums. There's a lot of football programs and a lot of football coaches in the U.S. that deal with kids every day and use their opportunity to educate. And we also have to recognize that as well. I want to I want to jump on the back of that, and, and this is a question for both of you. Um, so whoever wants to jump in first, go for it. But I I think it's it's really easy to accept that the overwhelming majority of kids who get into playing football or any sport for that matter will not reach the college game, let alone the professional game, and that's okay. That is a hundred percent okay. How would you guys define, and this is really a question for how would you help coaches who, who know that about their kids, how would you define the success of a program or of the mentorship of a young athlete that doesn't involve a step to the college game or to the professional game? How would you define success outside of that? Well, for me, again, this is me going back to my high school high school days. I mean, our program wasn't built to, to knock out D1 athletes, you know, and, and I think one of the, uh, I had the opportunity to work with our head coach back then, uh, you know, when I was in high school and, and his philosophy was just that it, it, it wasn't about wins or losses anymore at that point. It was like, look, if, if, if we get through the season with a winning percentage, that's great. But my, my goal at this point is just to make you better men, you know, and get you guys ready for the real world. And so I think every coach has to deal with that. You know, winning is part of playing sports. We all want to play sports. And I, as a coach, I, I want to win. But I don't want to win if it's not going to produce me, you know, an athlete that's going to be a better person. You know, I, I, and, and so for me as a coach and as a mentor, that's my main priority. 
you know? And so I think there's a lot of coaches that have to deal with that very specific question on a daily basis. And so they have to get their players to buy into that, you know? And, 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 and I think that's, that's happening in a lot of places. It happened for me in, in high school. Our coach just came out and he was just straightforward. You know, he said, Hey, not a lot of you guys are going to go on and play college. You know, very few of you have the opportunity to do so because number one, you're in a school district that's not highly rated. You know, you don't have a lot of media attention, you know, but we still want to play at a highly competitive level. And while doing that, want to make sure that you guys go to college, you know, as students, you know, and just become better people. And so he, he, you know, he changed our, our mentality as to just seeing football as wins and losses, you know, and his name was coach Cesar Campo, you know, and, and so, you know, he stuck with me all this time. And, and that's basically what I learned from that at that point is that if you have the opportunity to coach and educate kids to be better people, do so. And if you're only going after wins and losses uh, as your success rate, then I think you're going to be very disappointed once you're, you know, your 500 drops, you know, at that point, you know. And so I measure my success as to how many, how many kids that I can actually say have moved on to become better adults, you know. I don't know how many uh, marriage ceremonies I've gone to over the past 10 years that I've been here in El Salvador, you know, because, you know, my former athletes have invited me or have written me and given me thanks. I've said, hey, coach, you, you know, you were there for me in my worst times in football. If it wasn't for this or for that, that's how I measure success for our safe program. It really isn't wins and losses anymore. Max, same question to you. I mean, this is, I think you come from an interesting perspective on it, still being in the pro game, still getting game, you know, paychecks for playing football. I mean, how would you, how would you communicate that to coaches? Yeah, I would say I, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in that field because I did get the next opportunity. I, I'm, I still haven't put the football down and I won't until they rip it from my body. Um, but <laughs> I think that, I think I would go back to kind of what I said in, 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 you know, a little bit ago that the way you do everything is the way you do anything. And, and what I found in my time playing the game is that um, the way I operate in the world and the, the who I am off the field is also who I am on the field. If I'm not fulfilling myself and nurturing myself and taking care of the people around me and loving the people around me and letting them love me and letting them in, then I'm not that person on the field. If I'm not happy, if I'm chasing something off the field or if I'm chasing an insecurity here or a fear there or a lack of love here or a sadness here off the field, that's going to manifest itself on the field. So no matter where, what level, what ability you have, you want to maximize that ability and you know, maximize that player on the field. And the best way to maximize that player on the field is to maximize that person. Um, and so I've known the, at my times, I, I feel like I played myself out of the NFL because I was chasing a loneliness and a sadness that I didn't recognize I had. And I was chasing the wrong things at a really bad time in my life. And, and um, because I, I, I wasn't recognizing that and, I, and it manifest, manifested itself on the field. And so for a coach to see that in a, in a 16 year old kid that maybe is not going to play college football, but it's like, how can we figure have this game inform you about yourself? And, and just kind of return to that idea that like uh, that until that person becomes that player becomes the best person they can be. I don't think they can become the best player they can be because it's all about just finding out who you are. Um, and it's an exploration of, of how you feel and, and seeing yourself in the best light and being, OK, that's what I want to be. Let me shoot for that. How do I get there?
Man, I really appreciate you guys sharing a whole ton. I mean, I think for anyone listening, the, these two gentlemen, Steve Agreda and McLeod Bethel Thompson, are, are two just incredible examples of, of people that really believe and live day to day with the notion and the understanding that they have the ability to affect the world around them in positive ways. And I, and I think that there's anything to take away from this conversation is that everybody has that ability and everybody has that ability to, to bring that out of the people around them as well. Um, and I think that that ultimately is, is the foundation of what this whole experience of, of playing sport and representing a community and building community is, is really all about. So, man, I can't thank you guys enough for everything you shared uh, tonight. Um, Hope everyone out there listening got something out of this. Um, you know, feel free to hit us up however you can. Uh, put in your two cents as well, and uh, and we can't we can't wait for the next one. So thank you guys the whole time. Thank you, Steve, thank you. Much love to the safe family. Hey, no, thank thank you to both of you guys, man. This this has been a lot of fun and, and a great opportunity to you know to showcase what safe is about and 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 you guys have always had my back you know since we met you know 7 years ago and i appreciate that guys it's been a true honor for me